Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, God and Art, we are going to be exploring God from the perspective of all different kinds of artistic medium. We will be talking about God from the perspective of painting, sculpture, architecture, literature, poetry, film, and photography. My hope is that through these mediums, we will come to a deeper understanding of how God is present in our everyday lives. Enjoy. Our scripture reading this morning is a continuation of what we're reading. You all know it can stay away from Genesis for very long, right? Had to come back to it. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, And will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all of all that you give me, I will surely give you one-tenth. This is the word of the Lord. So today we begin our sermon series entitled God in Art. And if you haven't been here to hear me talk about it or you don't know uh, what this is about, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page with it, so we're talking about the same thing. So, from now all the way through Christmas Eve, we're going to be talking about God as it's presented through all kinds of various artistic mediums. So it's painting, sculpture, architecture, poetry, literature, film, photography, all these various ways that people use artistic mediums. And so the concept is, we're going to look at a piece of art, and then we're going to try to delve down into why was this artist presenting it the way they are presenting it, and from that, my hope is that we're going to extrapolate some deep truths about our lives. And from those deep truths, my hope is is that that's going to give us a way to enter into a deeper understanding of our own walk with God. You following me on this? Okay, we're on the same page. So, this year is going to be very different from what you've experienced from me in the last two years. So the last two years, the formula has been pretty basic, right? We read the scripture, then I tell you the scripture never happened, and then we move on from there, right? So that's generally how it works. No, what we usually do is we read a scripture, I give you the historical background, and then like in the last five minutes, I give you some practical application for how that impacts your life. And this year, we're not going to be spending all that time getting into the historical background of the scripture. We're not going to go through it in an exhaustive way. So basically, what we're going to do is, we're going to be dealing primarily with the scripture as a launching pad. So we look at the scripture, we read it, and I'm not going to worry about whether it happened or didn't happen. It's just the idea of, what does this tell us about our lives, and what can we extrapolate from it? So in this way, I want you to think about what we've been doing for the last two years and into the third. The first year we talked about Genesis, right? And Genesis, we were discussing God. Last year we talked about the Gospel of Mark and we focused on who? Jesus. And then this year we're focusing on spirit. So do you, so something like that in Christianity you've thought about before or heard about, right? It's Trinitarian in the way that it works. God, Son, Spirit. So this year is all about spirituality. And to get into our God and Art series today, we want to go back to the very beginning of human artistic endeavor. 
And in order to do this, I need to tell you a story from 1994, which I know is not the beginning of human artistic endeavor. I just want you all to understand that. I am aware that that is not the beginning. But in 1994, there was a group of spelunkers in the Ardèche Valley in France. What's a spelunker? A person who likes to go into... He's upset. The water was super cold. I don't blame him, honestly. Honestly. Next time, we need to heat it up a little bit more. So they're in the Ardèche Valley in France, and you can see that there's all these cliff faces. And they're, they're along the cliff face, and what they're feeling for are these pockets of warm air. That's what they're trying to feel in some of the cracks, because if there's warm air coming out of a crack, then more than likely what that means is there's some kind of pocket behind it, which could be a cave. So they're going along, and they feel one such pocket of air. And so they start chipping away at the rock, and they eventually make a hole that's big enough for a human to get through. And they get inside this cave, and of course, initially, they see just the stalactites and the stalagmites, the normal things that you see in a cave. They were pretty, but they weren't all that shocking. But then they go into the cave a few hundred feet, and one of the spelunkers, he turns his headlight, and he sees this rock that is off in the distance. And this rock has all these red dots on it. And upon closer inspection, he realizes that these red dots are actually human palm prints. And so they turn, and they go a little further into the cave, and they start finding all of this amazing artwork. Artwork that was done by a human hand. So they come out, And they go to the French authorities and they say, hey, we found this cave. The French authorities then send a bunch of scientists, archaeologists, anthropologists. They go into this cave and they start examining it. And they realize that these spelunkers, they have stumbled upon some of the oldest artwork ever produced by human hand. In fact, this artwork dates back more than 32,000 years. It is the oldest artwork ever produced by human beings. The cave was called the Chauvie Cave, after the primary researcher who dedicated his life to this, Jean-Marie Chauvie. And what they realized was, when they started examining the cave, that the original opening to the cave was actually covered in this massive rock slide about 20,000 years ago. And what happened was, that rock slide actually sealed the cave so that these paintings, they look almost fresh. Many of them look fresher than some of the Renaissance paintings we have. And this actually caused some people to question whether or not these paintings were real, because they were so fresh. It looked like they'd been painted yesterday. And so what happened was they went in and they realized that there was some calcification on the rock walls, and that calcification, it takes literally thousands of years to build up, and so that told them that it was real. When they started looking at the original entrance, though, they realized that there was a lot of light that would have originally shown into this cave. And none of the artwork was in the direction of where this light would be. The artist had intentionally gone back into further, darker parts of the cave in order to make their cave paintings. And so if you wanted to see these cave paintings after they had been made, you would have to go in with a torchlight in order to see them. So think about that. That's kind of like what a modern museum will do, right? When they want to show you a piece, what do they do? 
they light it in a very particular way so that you can see the work the way that they want you to see it, with the best possible light. So these guys, they did it intentionally. They, they, they had a torchlight, and the reason why is because under the torchlight, actually some of these paintings look like they're alive. They were drawn in a slightly 3D manner so that under the flicker of torchlight, they would have looked almost like they're moving. So what I want to do is I want to show you a little clip from a documentary. This is called Cave of Forgotten Dreams. I would suggest you watch the whole thing because it's really good, and it's about the discovery of this cave, and it's going to give you a sense of what it was like when they walked into this cave when they first found it. It would turn out that this cave was pristine. It had been perfectly sealed for tens of thousands of years. It contained by far the oldest cave paintings, dating back some 32,000 years. In fact, they are the oldest paintings ever discovered, more than twice as old as any other. its leading discoverer, Jean-Marie Chauvet, the cave now bears the name Chauvet Cave. We are coming here to one of the great spots in the cave, which is the famous panel of the horses. It is uh, of the si- one of the sides of a small recess, and this small hole there is where water comes out gurgling after there has been something like a week of rain. And, uh, and that probably explains why all those animals were painted around that hole. Uh, it's uh, one of the great works of art in, in the world. For these Paleolithic painters, the play of light and shadows from their torches could possibly have looked something like this. For them, the animals perhaps appeared moving, living. We should note that the artist painted this bison with eight legs, suggesting movement, almost a form of proto-cinema. themselves are not flat, but have their own three-dimensional dynamic, their own movement, which was utilized by the artists. In the upper left corner, another multi-legged animal, and the rhino to the right seems also to have the illusion of movement, like frames in an animated film. So clearly, The artists who created 
these paintings. They were quite skilled. In fact, many of the techniques that they used, they would not be replicated again for another 20,000 years. They would be lost for all that period of time before humans would discover them again. And what's interesting is they didn't just come into the cave and start painting. What they did was they would go along the wall and they would scrape down the wall, getting rid of any debris or concretions so that they were working with a much smoother, lighter surface on the wall. And then they didn't just paint animals. They would paint scenes with themes to them. So, for instance, we saw perhaps the most beautiful is the uh, Battle of the Horses, as they call it. So the Battle of the Horses right there, that is considered to be one of the most beautiful in the whole, in the whole cave. Below it, you can see that there are two woolly rhinoceroses. They are battling each other in order to get mating rights or for territory. And then another wonderful painting is of two cave lions, and they're rubbing up against each other in the cave. So these paintings, they actually represent, there's more than 100 animals in this cave. And there are 13 different species that are represented, many of which are now extinct. So they represent cave lions, cave bears, cave hyenas. All of these things are gone. And in fact, these particular drawings help us to understand what they look like because we only have their bones. We don't have any idea of what they actually look like when they were alive, but these paintings helped us to understand what they did look like. Interestingly, there are no... Full human formations in the cave. No full human representations. They were not so concerned with putting themselves up on the wall. I don't think they would quite understand our obsession with selfies, taking self-portraits of ourselves. That would be a little lost on them, I think. The only partial human representation in the cave is a pair of female legs that are connected to a bison upper torso and head. So it's very much like a minotaur, right, from Greek mythology. Now, the minotaur, that goes back about 3,000 years, right? But this is 32,000 years ago. So that tells you that that's how long humans have had this fascination with this half-human, half-animal kind of hybrid. Now, we don't know for sure if this is something that they worshipped, if this was a god. But what we do know is that this cave was not a place where people lived. This was a place where people would come to have ceremonies, perhaps religious ceremonies. So in that way, I would say, for all intents and purposes, this cave was considered to the ancients to be a holy place. Now, what does that word holy mean? Holy simply means to be set apart. So a holy place is a place that is set apart for a special purpose. Why is this place holy? It's holy because we set it apart for the purpose of worshiping God. We don't live here. Well, I live here, but you don't live here. And so in that way, you come here for this special purpose of being here. And it would seem that the ancients had the exact same inclination that we have. They wanted a space that was set apart where they could come to it and experience God. Now that experience of God which seems to be fairly universal, is what the scripture that we were dealing with today talks about. So this scripture from Genesis, we didn't actually talk about this during our Genesis series. Hard to believe, since it felt like we talked about every story. But this scripture, this story, was not something we discussed. And the way it works is like this. So, 
Jacob, he's just stolen his brother's blessing from his father, and he's running away because Esau wants to kill him. And so he's running, he's running, he's running, and he gets tired and he decides, well, I've got to go to sleep. So he takes a rock and puts this rock underneath his head, which I'm sure was super comfortable, and he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees this ladder that's going up to heaven. And there's angels that are ascending and descending on the ladder. And so God speaks to him in this dream and says, this land on which you are sleeping right now, this land belongs to your father Isaac and your grandfather Abraham, and it belongs to your family as well. So Jacob, he wakes up from the dream, and he says something that I absolutely love. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And so from there, he takes this rock that he was sleeping on. He props it up as a pillar, and he pours some oil on it, and he affirms the promise that God has made to him. Now, this is really fascinating to me, because his first instinct, after having this experience with God, is that he wants to create some kind of memorial in order to remember that it has happened. He wants some kind of tangible reminder that this experience happened to him. And so when I look at that, and then I look at the Chauvet Cave, and I look at a church like ours in our modern world, what that tells me is, is that human beings have this innate desire to want to create tangible reminders of God's presence in the world. Would you agree with me on that? Now, that may not be something that everybody agrees with, but I think that's really important because we have this. This is a tangible reminder of God's presence. You have, a couple thousand years ago, that story of him setting up a rock and pouring oil on it. That's a tangible reminder of God's presence. And then you go back 32,000 years and you get to that cave, which is a tangible reminder of God's presence. And interestingly enough, I would say that the desire to create tangible representations of God's presence is more important to us than creating representations of ourselves. That may not be so true today, but at least for most of human history it has been. Those artists, they could have created human representations on the wall, couldn't they? I mean, clearly they were good enough that they could do the animals pretty well, so they could have done us, but they decided not to. And the reason why is because for them, animals were connected to their idea of the supernatural. The ancients, they worshipped nature. And so by creating these images of animals on the walls, they were hoping to capture some essence of that supernatural element. You following me on this? So think about it. You're a person who's going into the cave. You're going to see this art that this person has made. You go in with your torchlight and you see it. What does the artist want you to experience? The artist wants you to experience God in their own way. That's what they're hoping will happen, that you're going to have an experience of God. That's how far back this thing goes. 32,000 years. So, what that tells me is, is that that kind of experience, an experience of God, is perhaps one of the most important experiences we can have as human beings. That it's something critical to who we are. Now, I don't know how many of you in here would claim to have had an experience of God in your life. But I am not the kind of person who tends to reduce that to some singular monolithic experience. This is what I mean by that. Most Christians will tell you that the only valid 
experience of God that you can have is when you are saved by Jesus. That is generally what most Christians will say. Any other experience you have, well, that's fine. But the real one you need to have, the important one, is being saved. I do not subscribe to that. I believe that you can have experiences of God in all kinds of different circumstances. And that when you have these, they are one of the most important experiences of your life. People who have told me about them, they said it changed their lives. And I want to tell you about one of the most important experiences of my life when I experienced God. So when I was over at Oxford University in England, I was with my friend, and he said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Why don't you come with me up to Scotland? We're going to hike the Highland Way. Now, the Highland Way is a 96-mile hike through Scotland. You have to do it in stages, so you just do it, you know, a little bit at a time, and you camp every time. And if you've ever been to Scotland, you probably know that it's not, like, really sunny there most of the time. It's mostly got cloud cover, right? So most of the days, it was not super sunny. And we got to one stage of the hike where we entered into this forest. And the forest, the canopy was so thick that what little light there was was not shining through into the forest. So it was almost like it was pitch black in there. And so we were just about to take out our flashlights when as we walked along, we realized there was some underbrush along the path that we were stepping on. And this underbrush, as we stepped on it, it started to disrupt these bugs that were inside, these lightning bugs. And they started to rise up out of the underbrush like hundreds at a time. And so what happens is they start lighting our way because as we step, they rise up. And as we go through the forest, I mean, it's, I mean it was an amazing experience because there were so many of them that literally you could actually see the leaves on the trees. That's how many of them were lighting our way through the forest. And so this was the first time in my life that I really felt like God was walking with me. And it was something that really impacted me. It gave me a sense of meaning and purpose that I'd never really had up till that point. And the only other time in my life that I ever feel that way at all is actually when I'm up here preaching when I feel that kind of presence in my life. And so, I have come to find that those experiences of God that are most meaningful are not the ones that you create in a place like this, but it's the ones that you stumble upon. The ones where you say to yourself, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And that was my thought as I was walking through the forest. Because that forest was a truly holy place to me. In fact, it's more holy than any church I've ever set foot into. And you know, we work so hard. I mean, this is a beautiful building, and the chapel is a beautiful building. I mean, how many of you have been to some of those massive churches over in Europe? I mean, they're amazing, right? These huge churches, and they have these massive spires and this beautiful stained glass. And you look at it, and people will say, what a testament that is to God. And I kind of think to myself, well, that's more of a testament to our own intelligence and ingenuity. I mean, I think that's a lot less about God and a lot more about us. It's the things that you stumble upon that have the most meaning in our lives. Those places that you stumble upon them and you say, surely God is in this place. And I did not know it. And you know, the Chauvet Cave... That is a truly 
holy place. It is a place where when the men and women who went into that cave for the first time, they said that when they went in there, they were awestruck by the art to the point where they felt as though they were communing with those Paleolithic painters who had created the art. And I think that that's really what defines a holy place, a place where space and time dissolve and you feel at one with everything around you. I think the reason why this art is so striking and so vividly beautiful is because there is something of us in them. Even though we live lives that are so very different from the people who created this art, we are very, very much the same. This cave is a bridge that connects 32,000 years of human history. And it is in that vein of making bridges with the past that I want to announce a new initiative in our church. Ever since I got here two years ago, I've been wanting to know what are your stories? What are your experiences of God? How has God affected you in your life? And so I've been working with a group of people in order to create a film studio in the basement of our church. And this film studio is designed for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to hear your stories. I want to place you in front of a camera, and I want you to tell us your stories of how you have experienced God in your life. And my hope is to create this huge video archive of all the history that you all bring to this church so we have a bridge between the past and the present. And so there's a couple of different ways we're going to use those videos. So one way that we're going to use them is that if I hear a story that you talk about and I think, wow, that's pretty good, I might use it in a sermon up here sometime. Of course, I call you beforehand, so don't worry. I'm not just going to show you at some point, right? You can say no. You don't have to let me use it if you don't want to. But the bigger place where this is going to be used is in funerals. So the pastors, you know, when we have to do a funeral, we are often tasked with summarizing the life of this person who has passed away. And we are usually hearing information about the person second and third hand. But what we want to do is we want you to be able to tell your own story in your own words. I mean, think about how meaningful that would be to your family, to your children, your grandchildren. How meaningful it would be to your friends to hear you tell your story in your own words. And so what we're hoping to do is to have you come in and tell that story so that we can do that during a funeral. And then also, what I'd love to be able to give to your family during one of those funerals is a copy of the full interview so that they have that. Because often, I mean, how many of us have anything like that? You know, of our family, of anybody telling their story. I mean, they're gone, and all we have is our memory of them. And so this is very important for all of us. And so in October, we're going to start taking sign-ups for it. I hope that you'll be willing to sit down there. You can say whatever you want, because this is about you, this is about your family, it's about your experiences, we're not looking for anything. Whatever your story is, we just want to hear that story, because we want to have that bridge between the past and the present. And you know what's interesting about the Shobi Cave 
is it the only memorial to any kind of real human experience in that cave is a handprint that has been left by one of the artists in the cave. And I think that is so beautiful and so wonderful because truly, we are nothing more than a fingerprint in the tide of human history. And what makes that fingerprint meaningful are our experiences that we have with each other and with God. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you might have these truly beautiful, striking, wonderful experiences of God. And I hope that those experiences will cause you to proclaim, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.